And one of the problems I have was that I wasn't following the advice of a really good friend of mine. This friend, we've been friends as of today, 37 years. And this friend has advised me more than once, Stephen, when you are dealing with an advocate, an advocate is not always interested in discussing the facts and how did you get there. They just want to give their message. And in that case, Stephen, if you are 100% right and they are 100% wrong, the best thing for everybody in that room is for you to smile and nod. <laughs> smile and nod, smile and nod. But the problem is my smile and nod advice that sits on this shoulder fights with the one on this shoulder, which is what another friend of mine calls my justice gene. And that is that I cannot, I feel like if somebody says something that is untrue, or I feel like if I don't say something, I'm going along with it, you know? I'm agreeing that that's right, and it's very hard for me. And so then what happened next in the class is a good example of those two fighting, and I'm just gonna spoil the punchline that smile and nod didn't win. Um, <laughs> Now, the point that I think he was trying to make is that people act on what they believe to be true, whether it is or not. And that, got that. That's not what he said, though. That's a more logical way to say it. This is what he wrote on the flip pad with me in the room. Truth is what you believe. Not just is, but equal sign. <laughs> Truth <laughs> equals what you believe. So my brain is, I'm like, that's really easy. Just prove. I've got to find one example. I can just prove that, you know? So I'm trying to take white until what he wrote next. He added this. Fact is, equal sign, truth, no matter what you believe. Now let's remember what my goal in that class was. My goal that day, my mission was to sign the paper that I did the class, right? Didn't have to raise my hand, but Justice Jean couldn't stand it. I raised my hand and made this really not very helpful observation. So, sir, according to what you have told me, according to what you have told me, fact is what you believe, no matter what you believe. Is that what you are telling me? Because I'm a math guy. Put the equals in, right? <laughs> Makes zero sense. And you can't use that as a definition. Now, this did not win me a friend of the instructor. Like anything else I said the rest of the day was suspect. And I'm not, you know, not taking his point of view into account. But I'm not very good. I'm not very good at just kind of agreeing to something just because people say it. And that applies even in the realm of faith. In fact, the elders will tell you, yes, it's pretty annoying sometimes, right? But I am not so good at just agreeing. And it is true with this, my chains are gone, I've been set free. It's not something I emotionally feel. I think it's easy to think of that in terms of being free from sin as a kind of shortcut, a shortcut code. And I think, you know, as Christians or as people of faith, we celebrate when a person finds Jesus and is delivered from an addiction or something like this. I mean, we showed the pictures of Brian Welch from Corn, and we celebrate what God was able to release him from. But that is not my story, right? My parents were new believers, and so I grew up learning about Jesus all the time, 
And I am just a rule-following kid by genetics, right? So I'm just, I didn't ever want to do it wrong. So like, the desire to rebel, it's maybe in different ways, and you've been like raising my hand, what you just said, sir. But um, it's not me. And so sometimes you wonder, these people say, I feel free, what do you mean that you feel free? What do you mean? Because I'm not having, you know, not having, not being cured of a drug problem. What does that mean? So I decided that I would like review it a little bit this week, review the Bible and say, what does it say? Because I, well, I got your attention. What can you do? I thought I would talk about what I found. And I want to talk about three things I was reminded of when I studied the word freedom in the Bible. It's really simple. No magic. Went to BibleGateway.com, looked up freedom. I discovered three things. I've gone very old school. I feel like 1983 called and wants its method back. But freedom in Christ is in an outline with blanks. It's just so old-fashioned on my IBM Selectric typewriter. But um, not freedom. So I want to talk about today one thing that I think freedom in Christ is not. One thing that it is not. And then I want to talk about two things that I think it is. One of them has two parts. I want to talk about what it is freedom from, and I have two things I want to say there. And then I'm going to talk about one thing, not just freedom from, but we have freedom to do if we have put our faith in Christ. So let's start filling in that first blank, and that is one of the things I learned is that freedom in Christ does not mean freedom from the influence of sin while we are still alive and breathing on the earth. It does not mean we are free from the influence of sin because as we become, as we struggle on the journey, those of us that have put our faith in Christ and we're on that journey to try to become more like him, we will stumble and sometimes a lot. Hero of the faith, Paul. Paul, who spread the Christian message among the early church and is foundational to our understanding of Christ, said the stuff I want to do, I don't do. And the stuff that I want to stop, I don't stop. Right? He struggled. We struggle. Freedom does not mean you will never sin again. And it's easy, I think, to get caught up in that. In fact, the Bible says pretty clearly, we deceive ourselves if we say we do not sin. 1 John 1, verses 8 through 10 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Why did John have to even write something like that? Well, I think he must have written it because there were people who were saying, we don't sin or you don't sin. Why would you have to write? By the way, don't say you don't sin. It's because this is common. Freedom in Christ does not mean you will never sin again. It doesn't mean that. And I think we can easily get down on ourselves because we, although we would never say those words, it's kind of how our brain starts to think. And I think also that freedom in Christ, freedom with regard to sin, does not mean that we are free of the consequences of the sins we do commit. You know, God's rules are not because he wants to be a cosmic killjoy. God's rules are for our own good. You know? 
we teach our kids not to touch a hot stove. My child, when she was six or eight or something, I landed from a business trip and my wife was in the emergency room because we had one of those stoves with a flat top and she had pulled herself up putting her hand on the hot stove. My rule about don't touch a hot stove is not to be a killjoy, right? My rule is because you will be hurt if you touch it. God's rules are because he wants to protect us. And when we don't follow them, there are consequences. There is a rule, you know, killjoy rule, do not be drunk with wine. But if you don't follow that rule and you go driving, you may end up in jail, right? We are not free from that consequence, a couple of both couples are following Jesus and one of them is unfaithful, that will have potentially lifelong consequences for that relationship. There can be forgiveness. The Bible encourages toward forgiveness. But we are not free from the consequence of sin. In fact, sin, I believe, has consequences for our relationship with God. Let's look in John 15, verse 5 through 7 beautiful passage where he's speaking to the disciples I am the vine you are the branches if you remain in me and I in you you will bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing if you do not remain in me you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers such branches are picked up thrown into the fire and burned if you remain in me and my words remain in you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you when we don't follow God's commands, it impacts our relationship. Now, this does not mean, if we put our faith in Christ, it does not mean we're out of family. It doesn't. I know that not everybody here had loving parents, but you can imagine when you know of very loving parents that have adult kids who have real problems in their life and are making terrible choices. And those choices can impact the family. It doesn't mean that the parents stop loving them or that that child is no longer part of the family, but it can impact the relationship, certainly. Certainly can impact the relationship. It's the same way with God. We don't lose our status, but it can impact the relationship. There are consequences to sin, and we are not free from that even when we have placed our faith in Jesus. Now, we've talked about what it doesn't mean. Let's talk about what it does mean. Freedom in Christ means that we are free from the penalty of sin. Free from the penalty of sin, you are forgiven. This is a kind of spiritual status, a permanent status. You are free from the penalty of sin. The Bible is clear over and over and over again that the wages of sin, what you earn from sin, is death. And by death here, it means separation from God. Because when you sin, you are choosing to be apart from God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If we have put our faith in Jesus, we are free from the penalty of sin, and it is nothing we have earned. It is our faith in Jesus that justifies us, makes us right before God. I put up a verse here Romans 4, verses 4 through 5. It's a little bit deep, but it says, Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. We don't 
earned it, right? It is not as if we are earning it. We cannot earn it. The entire book of Romans makes clear is that the whole reason there's law and rules in the, New, in the Old Testament is to show you, is to have proof, it's like a performance plan, you know? To have reasons to say, look, this is not meeting the standard. You don't meet the standard. It is only through faith in Christ that we can have forgiveness for sins. If we are in, another thing that I learned is reminded, if we are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. I'm going to put up a Bible verse. I go to this one a lot because I think it's really important. My wife said to that my wife is the one who creates the slides, and when she was setting up the slides, she's like, are we doing greatest hits this week? Really? Well, I'll say it again. It's an important verse because I think we forget this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation. It's so funny, I think that people that don't have never really read the Bible think it's full of goody two-shoes, and nothing could be further from the truth. It's full of people who mess up constantly. People who love God who mess up constantly. Two biggest heroes of the faith, in my view, Peter and Paul in the New Testament. Peter denied Jesus in front of other people, denied knowing him at his greatest need. Paul murdered Christians before he became a Christian himself. And they have no condemnation. That's the message. There is no condemnation before God for those who are in Christ Jesus. They think it's easy to forget. Freedom in Christ also means something, and this is something I think is hard to live out. It's easy to say, hard. Freedom means we are free from doing good things in order to earn God's approval. We are free from attempting to have our scales balance in a way that I've got no good thing bad. It's not what you do. It's what Christ did, right? It's not what you do. Talk about how you can't earn your way. We cannot be justified by the law by doing good. So I'm going to read from Galatians 2, verses 15 to 16. Um, this is written by a Jewish writer, um, uh, Paul. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because the by the works of the law, no one will be justified. I think a lot of us know this intellectually, but we're like, I haven't read my Bible enough, I haven't prayed enough, I haven't. I mean, we slip into trying to work our way to God's approval. God's granted it already through his son. He's granted it already. You know, this does bring up a kind of conundrum that I think people ask a lot. Um, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to talk about it uh, from a, an example from a book by Nabil Qureshi. This is the other thing where Laura's like Nabil Qureshi again. <laughs> yes, Nabil Qureshi again. So Nabil Qureshi was a uh, very devout Muslim who went to college with uh, uh, a guy who was a very devout Christian, and they were both debaters, and they really liked evidence and the rules of evidence, and they decided to investigate each other's faiths and see which one had more evidence. And it's a great book, um, uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, great book about how he comes down to on the side of evidence for Christianity, and he becomes a Christian apologist, which is a defender of the faith. 
So at a debate, after the, after the debate was over, he had two children approach him, and I'm going to read this as it was in the book, a girl and a boy about 10 and 12 years old, apparently sent by their mother. When they asked me their question, I could not help but smile, because I remembered asking the same question of Christians when I was their age, also urged on by my parents. The question was this, if God just forgives all Christians and none of them go to hell, why would any Christian do good when they can sin all they want? I guess it's true. We've talked about the consequences of sin, why you might avoid it. They're not causing killjoy. But it's a good question. So good, in fact, that the Bible has verse after verse after verse about, like, you may say, why don't I keep sinning so that God looks even more awesome when he forgives me for it, right? Um, but it says you shouldn't. So I'm going to address some of these examples. One is in 1 Corinthians 10.23. It says, I have the right to do anything you say, but I say, not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything you say, but I say, not everything is constructive. And another example is in Galatians 5.13, where it says, My brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. The Bible is over says, don't use your freedom. Don't use your freedom to indulge yourself. Use your freedom to win people for Jesus. Now, Nabil Qureshi had a really good solution for these two kids that are talking to him. I'd like to read it because I just thought it was so brilliant. Sitting down next to them, I nodded toward their mother and asked them a question in return. Do you love your mom? Slightly taken aback, they answered emphatically, of course. Smiling, I asked them a simple question. When she asks you to do something like clean your room, what do you think would make her happier? If you cleaned your room because you love her, or if you cleaned your room because you were afraid she would punish you? Without hesitation, the sister answered, because we love her. And as the words left her lips, the realization was apparent on her face. Obedience under the shadow of threat is hardly obedience at all, but compulsion. Christian obedience, devoid of threat, and rooted in love is what God truly wants. I thought this was a brilliant answer, and especially a brilliant answer given he was dealing with 10 and 12 year olds. And as you go on to read more about Nubio, you realize, he, I'm not an expert on Islam, but he says that in Islam, at the end of your life, Allah weighs your goods and your bads. You never know how you're doing as you go, and if the goods outweigh the bads, you go to heaven, and if not, you don't. And he talks about when he put his faith in Christ, the unbelievable freedom to know he was forgiven. And it wasn't that the rest of his life he had to be constantly worrying about these goods and bads and do they balance out. It was freedom for him. This is what I think freedom in Christ means. It's the freedom to know we don't have to constantly work to gain God's approval. We've already gained it. So the last thing I want to say, which is a follow-on to this, is that freedom in Christ means the freedom to love God and love others without fear. The freedom to love God and love others without fear. I think I've, I've said this before because when I used to work in a restaurant, the absolute worst people were Christians. Very demanding. I want to split lots of stuff that doesn't involve a really big tip. 
you know, I'm not thankful. How, how dare my butter not be melted on my potato? I mean, you know, and I kind of made a decision at that point. I never want, I want to always be able to free to talk about God, either with the person I'm with or with the waiter or whatever, if they ask me a question. And I don't want my tip to reflect. I, I don't want them to say, oh, that's nice, but he just didn't tip. Because what they care about is the tip, right? That's how they make their money. So I just said, it's going to be this percent no matter what. It's going to be really good every time no matter what. Do you know how freeing that is? You don't worry about is the service good or bad. It's not going to make a difference. It's very freeing to me to not worry about that because, you know, justice gene even counts in restaurants. Apparently, well, but it's very freeing. And I want to um, say that freedom in Christ means you don't have to worry about whether people are going to treat you correctly or not. You can just love them. It doesn't matter. That's freedom. You're not worrying about, am I doing this? Is it fair? Let's look at 1 Peter 2, verse 16. It says, Live as free people, but do not use your freedom to cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Use your freedom to live as a slave for God. Another verse about using your freedom to serve others is in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. It says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many people as possible. I know that I recommend books a lot up here if you want to talk about using your freedom or feeling free in the hardest of circumstances. Fantastic book called Captive in Iran. Captive in Iran. It's about two Christian women in Iran who were arrested essentially for their beliefs and went to Evan Prison, which is a really, really tough prison in Iran. And they talk in there and they share their faith in there and they talk about the freedom that they had their whole life they were afraid of getting you know getting caught so to speak and that once they were there they felt well, what can happen to me now the freedom they felt and they are wonderful witnesses for their faith they don't convert everybody they don't but they felt free in every prison in Iran because of what Jesus had done for them I really recommend that book Captive in Iran you know I think another thing that makes us free is we if you put your faith in Christ, you have what so many people spend their lives trying to find, and that's a purpose. We are to love each other because God loved us and forgave us. John 15, verses 9 to 17. This is a little bit long. It's a little bit long, but I'm going to read it because I think it's just beautiful. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now listen to this. Jesus, the God of the universe incarnate, says you are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you... Uh, ah, sorry, I went up a line. <laughs> um, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. 
love each other. It is the freedom we have to love each other. And freedom in Christ to love people with a holistic love, not looking to get something, but loving them because God loves them and says that they have worth. And because we have we've been forgiven completely and totally, and this was my kind of shocker this week, we can approach and have relationship with the Holy God who created the universe. This is Ephesians 3.12. Ephesians 3.12. Think about who God is and what this says. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God in freedom and confidence. We can approach God when our life is going on. We can approach God in freedom and confidence. You ever gone to a boss you're a little afraid of? Do you always go in freedom and confidence? Not always. This is God of the universe. We can approach him in freedom and confidence. Great things to relearn and remind myself of. I'm going to ask the band to come out now because we're going to sing something at the end. I'm asking them to go on. So, so yes, I do know what's happening behind me. That's good. Um, freedom is not freedom from the influence of sin, or it doesn't mean she'll never sin again, but it is freedom from the penalty of sin and the requirement to earn God's approval from doing enough good things. Freedom is the freedom to love other people unconditionally and sacrificially and even when they hurt you because you have been forgiven for things that you've done that are wrong. And now the first step in all of this is placing your faith in Jesus, is admitting that you know you do things wrong and you're in need of a Savior. We will have prayer partners up today. They will be wearing blue name tags. That's how you know you found the right person is the blue name tag. They'll be up to front after the service. If you have questions about them, talk with them, talk with me after the service. We'd be happy to help you. If you need prayer for anything else, we just want to share with somebody what's going on in your life. That's what our prayer partners are for. Today, it's Jacques and Evelyn. They'd be happy to talk to you about any questions you have. Thank you, Peter. Let's pray and thank God for what he has done for us. Father, thank you so much that you have given your son for us. Thank you so much that we are not free from the influence of sin, but we are free from the penalty of sin. And we are free from living our lives thinking if I don't find the right balance of good versus bad, you will not accept us because you know you can. Help us to love others with that love that you have shown to us. In Jesus' name.